So, welcome to Parallax Lectures. I'm your host, Thomas Mark. Um, thank you all for showing up. Um, this is a fairly new format, so let's see how that goes. That's the fourth lecture we have. Um, you can visit our uh, platform, our website, um, for updates, interviews, podcasts, and I just posted the link uh, in the chat box. So tonight, my guest is Daniel Gertz. He's a sociologist and philosopher, and as uh, yeah, uh, a co-author as Hensi Freinacht from uh, the Listening Society and the Nordic Ideology. Um, Hansi, are you there? Well, Daniel? There. Good to see you, Tom. How are you? I think it's good. And um, I'm, I'm fairly, fairly well. Um, yeah, frankly, on a subjective, on the subjective scale of states, I'm on a seven uh, from right. one to 13. So yeah, I mean, anytime we're on a seven, we should be grateful. Life hasn't brought us greater suffering. Uh, so uh, no, let, let's see if, if this uh, talk and lecture can, can uh, bring my subjective states to soar. Anyways. Thank you very much that you're doing that, so to, that you uh, took the time and, you know, we, we had planned to do the, the conference, you know, in Germany and that uh, didn't work out sadly. So um, because of Corona and other things. So now we're doing this. I'm very grateful for that and to, to um, you know, um, give you the platform to talk about your great ideas and all of that. So um, you're working on your third book. It's called um, Six Hidden Patterns of History. So it's a book on right. world history, um, particularly on the meta memes, the great connecting patterns that uh, aren't necessarily periods in history, uh, but, uh, but can help us analyze how history has developed and evolved. Right. So how far are you? Mm, uh, it depends on how you mean by far. So uh, especially my co-author Emil has been putting a lot of work into this. He's the historian, uh, but we've uh, fairly recently redefined how we want to read, uh, write the book in dialogue format, namely Q and right. HF, Hansi Freinacht. So uh, um, actually we're a little bit starting from the beginning, um, but it's been a lot of fun thus far. Right. Okay. So uh, what do you want to talk about so today? today? I want to talk about a very, a number of very, very important distinctions about what people mean when they use the word metamodernism. People mean very, very different things. And metamodernism, right. I feel, in many ways is crippled for this particular reason that we're, well, chasing our own tail a lot of the time and don't know what we're talking about. Right. So hopefully this lecture will help to bring some specificity and clarity into that discussion. And that's, that's the aim. Uh, Perfect. The lecture yes. is based on a chapter uh, that is coming up in a metamodern reader. It's going to be called something else. They changed the title several times. But uh, there are chapters by a lot of uh, prominent scholars of the field. And uh, uh, there is going to be one by Hansi Freinacht, uh, which is titled Metamodern Sociology. 
And in that chapter, there is also a definition of the term metamodernism or some distinctions right. to this definition. So that's where this is coming from. Right, perfect. Okay, so for all you listeners, how that works, uh, Daniel will uh, do like, I don't know, 30, 40 minutes lecture. Is that more or less what you're, what you're aiming for? Mm -hmm. we'll, we'll chat a little bit about this and then we'll open the floor for the participants and I will make them active participants so they can turn on the camera and uh, ask their questions and go into dialogue with you. And I, I hope that that will be a lively and interesting thing. So I make you now the, the co-host so you go, I, because you have some slides and you want to, um, is that right? Yes, that's correct. Okay, so, okay, now, now you're the host and you can go ahead. Wonderful. Sharing screen. This one, um, slideshow from the beginning. What is metamodernism? learning to make important distinctions. And I hope uh, to stress um, that these are in fact important distinctions that uh, I'm not just mm, shuffling around words here, uh, that we're, um, we have this vast uh, movement of interconnected things, some of which are call themselves metamodern and others that don't at all or don't even know about the term, but they are somehow connected. So um, uh, we'll dive into this and give a few different definitions of what metamodernism is. So first, the first one is to claim it's a cultural phase. So uh, postmodernism has been around in society. I should mention, by the way, this, um, this lecture is a little bit less introductory than our former discussions have been, Tom. So, um, so this is for uh, a somewhat more, uh, um, well, advanced audience who might already know a bit about, about the topic or, or have some preconceptions. Um, and the first is that it's a cultural phase. So uh, there has been, um, um, well, a lot of ink has been spilled around this topic of postmodernism, the ironic detachment from modern society, the deconstruction of its meaning structures, the, um, uh, the critical gaze of humanities and social sciences, um, discourse analysis, um, revealing power structures, taking a linguistic turn. Many of these things, feminism is connected to this in many ways, uh, academic feminism anyway, and um, um, as is, as are things, of course, within the arts and um, in the post-colonial theory. There are so many things that are loosely connected to this large, large structure called postmodernism. And the idea is that after postmodernism, something else has been happening. Something has shifted in culture, in popular culture, in the arts, in academia, um, in philosophical discourses. So there has been a cultural phase shift. And um, if we look then at the term metamodernism, that's one of the suggestions for what comes after postmodernism. 
that it's a cultural phase, a fairly recent one, where the irony of and detachment and critique of the postmodern sentiment has shifted and you have brought in hope and naivety and progress in a certain sense, um, albeit all the time oscillating back to this, uh, this postmodern irony. And uh, this has been observed uh, in, uh, the, in the arts and in architecture even by Vermeulen and Van der Acker to, uh, to Dutch scholars and the cultural theorists who uh, uh, really pop did a lot to popularize this term and give it new, new meaning and, and uh, weight academically and also culturally speaking. Alison Gibbons is uh, uh, active in that same space. And, uh, there, there are, there's uh, literally literary scholars like Alexandra Dumitrescu who has uh, uh, analyzed literature. There are a few books that particularly, uh, um, that particularly uh, uh, seem to uh, capture this, uh, this metamodern essence. So Infinite Jest, of course, is a title that comes up a lot here. And it's called a, a metamodern novel. Um, Greg Denver and Linda Sorelio have uh, analyzed popular culture in uh, TV shows and a lot of other things and looked for this new trend, like this new sincerity showing up. Luke Turner um, is an artist himself, but he wrote uh, uh, Metamodernist Manifesto, uh, a short, poetic, inspiring piece that um, that uh, um, highlights these these topics. That it's an oscillation. That there is informed naivety. That there is magical realism, and so on. So there is a kind of both and thinking then of, of the modernity and its belief, naive belief in progress and the truth and postmodernity with its skepticism towards these. And it takes many different expressions across, across culture. And in this sense, it is, uh, metamodernism is an alternative to other phases of that cultural uh, theorists and analysts have proposed. Post-postmodernism is one, we, do, we needn't dig into these. Um, Digimodernism is another one, transmodernism, that one goes a little bit in the direction of a, being a new philosophy. We'll get back to that perhaps. Uh, performativism also perhaps goes in the direction a little bit more of being a philosophy. Uh, but all of these encapsulate the, that um, somehow there is something new going on. Internet society has some new cultural dynamics which were not uh, seen earlier and which should be viewed as distinct from what we have learned to recognize as postmodernism in our culture. And that there uh, are more and more of these expressions and certain cultural logics that come with these expressions, certain cultural logics of how um, Seth Abramson could be mentioned in this context also. He particularly looks at the cultural logic of the internet age. For instance, uh, how can uh, um, Donald Trump get away with saying different things than other presidents? Surely, uh, clearly something has shifted in the cultural dynamics of society. So that's the most widespread use of metamodernism and also the term metamodernism and also the the one most 
academically established, I should say. Now, other people have other ideas. More things seem to be going on and happening after postmodernism, after postmodernity. Which brings us to this one. It's a developmental stage of society. So I put Wilbur's integral theory here. I put Habermas, not because he talks about metamodernism, but because uh, Habermas, the great uh, social theorist of Europe, um, does in his discourse on modernity, uh, philosophical discourse on modernity, track stages of development of societies and, and argues that they have different certain logics. Gunther Dux has done a different, um, uh, taken take a different uh, uh, path or view of this. Also great German sociologists, many big books have been written about him and his work. And, um, and he bases it on uh, particularly Piaget's the developmental theory, psychological developmental theory. So um, the idea here is that society itself is shifting towards something completely different. And all of its institutions are likely to profoundly change. And the logics of how we govern our countries, of how the economy is organized, and so on, um, shift, particularly uh, a, a very important key element here is that we're entering into internet society with a host of other super technologies, of course. But um, the metamodernism in this sense is something different than just a cultural phase. It corresponds more to modernity, not to modernism as in an arts, uh, an arts period and then postmodernism as another arts period, but more like modernity going back even to the, uh, to the Renaissance, up to the Industrial Revolution, up to liberal democracy and fully blooming in liberal democracy, that that is modernity and postmodernity is the kind of society that comes after capitalist liberal democracy. So there's a lot more to say about that. I should go on, but that's an enormously important distinction to be made. And it kind of causes a lot of confusions, especially for the people um, who uh, subscribe to this first view. And they hear a lot of people such as myself talking about a whole, whole new society and they feel well maybe they're beating a much too big drum but I don't think we are actually I think there, there are good reasons to believe that society is shifting in such profound and uh, wide-reaching manners that um, that we can indeed and should indeed be thinking about um, what this new stage of society looks like and this is both an an exploratory work, explore what this new stage could look like. And it's a normative work, meaning, or a prescriptive work, because there's a logic to how the stage stages develop. So it says something about what the new stage should look like. More on this perhaps later. No, it's a meta meme, says the third voice. 
And the third voice says something quite similar to it's a, it's a stage in society, but a bit more abstract or a lot more abstracted. It's not the particular society that first society is modern, then it is postmodern, then it becomes metamodern. Rather, there have been throughout history large sets of memes, of interconnected memes or meme plexus, and these we can call meta-memes, and they have an inherent logic that connect the different events and processes in them. And each of these are a kind of gen cultural generator function which asserts itself first within certain aspects of certain parts of society and spreads from there and spreads a new cultural logic. So, um, I mean, we saw, if you read, for instance, um, for instance, uh, Yuval Harari's book, um, um, Sapiens, he describes how human beings, homo sapiens, um, outcompeted other human um, species by, uh, by virtue of uh, communicating in larger groups around larger imagined worlds. And this was in fact animism, uh, the, the fact that you could gather a fairly large group of people around a totem, around a spiritual practice and so on, um, and a uh, around a larger narrative. So even though uh, Homo sapiens were um, uh, were uh, physically inferior for in, in the European uh, in the European um, climate and so on. Uh, they could outcompete the the less culturally endowed um, the, the less culturally endowed uh, Neanderthals, and and on it went with actually all of the other uh, five. Uh, uh, species of humans uh, and all were subsumed by Homo sapiens. So, so even the first one of these metamemes is incredibly powerful. Well, the list goes on. Uh, eventually we have sedimentary societies um, with agriculture and a new metameme uh, kicks into place, um, which I've called Faustianism, we have called Faustianism. And um, uh, we call it that way because uh, you kind of make a deal with the devil that uh, uh, that uh, you, you get power gods, you get uh, um, well a certain kind of uh, a certain kind of uh, detachment from nature, and humanity becomes society uh, detached from nature, and be, and cr can create its own structures, and thus can build more grander basis of power and fulfill different desires and needs for greatness. Post-Faustianism is the critique of that, uh, of that uh, uh, crude world. Um, so it's when Christianity, for instance, comes to the Vikings and Christians the Vikings and they, their former religion is uh, uh, deemed paganism. And um, uh, Post-Faustianism, of course, uh, includes a critique of sheer power. Rather, the king should be should be ruling because it's God's reign, or that it's uh, a divine right, something like that. Um, and there, it all points towards universal truth. 
this uh, logic um, is brought to its end point at one point or another and uh, in comes modernism which says well if, the, if there is a universal truth and if we are all equal we should all be able to check that universal truth for ourselves and what happens is of course that um, you have a scientific revolution and all that follows from it uh, postmodernism is the critique of modern society picks that apart uh, shows that the power structures are still there that we aren't in fact equal that our societies aren't actually rational and democratic that human beings aren't rational and and yeah there, there's a whole thread there and metamodernism comes in as a pattern that emerges from the postmodern elements of society and starts to reconstruct modernism and postmodernism, but also including elements of all of the former uh, metamemes. So these are abstracted patterns. So looking at modernism, for instance, you can't pin it down to one particular society or one particular period because mm, modernism as a, uh, as a metameme begins in the arts. So it begins in, uh, in Renaissance art uh, when you get things like uh, in, the, in, a, in the Italian Renaissance, for instance, you get um, perspective. And uh, like that, the natural world is uh, detached from the social universe. So uh, from that very move, to view the world objectively, to view it so in a way so that anyone can can check for themselves from a third person view, a view from nowhere as it were, um, then all of the other modern institutions follow through the development of a capitalist economy uh, and a socialist alternative to it to uh, uh, to the development of uh, liberal democracy and uh, and uh, full and, uh, full suffrage and, and so on um, and and human rights and, and a liberal world order so that's the same metamine but is not stretched over a very short period it's over 500 years and in the midst of that um, of the growth of the former metamine at the very top of modernity you have the birth of a postmodern critique starting also first in the arts long before you had philosopher uh, postmodern philosophers like Foucault you had art that could in this sense be deemed postmodern uh, because it uh, critiques perspective for instance in uh, when the uh, when um, Picasso does so very, very um, consciously, for instance. Well, so, so a, a theorist that uh, can be mentioned that has done re similar work uh, before and viewed the world similarly to these uh, metamemes would be Jean Gebser. He's looking for these deep patterns that underlie history and organize it. And he also notices that there are different, there are different logics that, well, one begets the other and there is a clear sequence to them. So also here, comparing to viewing uh, metamodernism as a face in our current culture, uh, views it more writ large. Um, 
that has a bigger and more profound shift and which we're at the very beginning of them. Well, then there's a um, fourth answer to the question, what is metamodernism? So it's a rare stage of psychological development. And that the idea here is that people develop as human beings in our values, in our worldview, uh, in our personalities, in our perspective taking, um, in our sensibilities, uh, and they, um, they become modern first and get a modern worldview. Maybe when you were in high school, you had more of a mainstream worldview yourself. Um, I certainly did. Um, and a certain, uh, I had a more materialist uh, view of life and, uh, and many other things. Um, I, modernism is uh, connected to such things as meritocracy, uh, achievement, uh, fair and free competition, for instance, um, rationality, uh, expression through uh, through achievement, expression of the self through achievement. Uh, before that stage, you have a stage that more corresponds to traditional societies that uh, um, where you more try to fit in, uh, you try to follow the values of your society and so on. Uh, you're trying to find one truth and stick with it. And on it goes um, that after the modern stage of development, you might see something like a postmodern stage of development or something that would correspond to it, where you can take many different perspectives. You view yourself more as a relational being. Um, you uh, value relationships more. Uh, you uh, question the, the values of, uh, of your society and, uh, and whether or not it's a fair and free society and so on. And metamodernism would be the subsection of those often fairly privileged and educated and uh, people who, who become postmodernists uh, who uh, takes up a more self-developmental view, seeing that we develop together, that I am in flux, that uh, uh, every, uh, uh, every one of us is uh, uh, profoundly, uh, profoundly affected by, by the situations we are in. So uh, one becomes more concerned with co-development and uh, uh, like I help you develop so that you can help me develop and you begin to focus on processes and, um, and how, much more how and when than, than the actual what. So, so there, there's, a, there's a sequence of developmental stages and the different sequences uh, are presented by, by a number of different scholars. So you have Robert Keegan suggesting um, a bunch of theories that largely, that can, that can largely be uh, compared to this one uh, that I have sketched. Uh, you have uh, Suzanne Cook Reuter who has uh, done a lot of uh, work on on, sim on a similar um, on a similar theories could consider a lot less academically kosher for different reasons. You have Michael L. Commons, who has been a mentor of my own, who um, uh, particularly just studies uh, the complexity of someone's thinking and also notice these stages. 
and he, he's a new EO Piagetian, so he's Piagetian stages that we go through as kids, where our perspective and our cognition shifts, they continue into adulthood is his argument and also what his research shows. And they can also be compared to, to, uh, to these different stages, right? And, and there are other names that could be mentioned. Ma Michael Bass, uh, Kurt Fisher, Theo Dawson, Tara Fallon, Claire Graves, Gerald Young. Not all of them would buy the exact, um, or maybe none of them would buy this simplified model that I have presented, uh, which builds a, looks a, a, a bit more of a caricature image of these stages. But there is a rich plethora of research and they seem to be pointing in the same direction, that later stages are more nuanced, more multiperspectival, and less identified with the self. And um, metamodern, then in this sense, a lot of people will talk about, is this person metamodern? Is that person metamodern? Maybe a while ago, it was more popular to say somebody is postmodern or they are integral in their perspective or they're modernist or postmodernist or integral in their perspective. And nowadays, a lot of people have shifted that word integral in, uh, in terms of a psychological stage to, uh, to uh, metamodernism or to metamodern. So this person is metamodern in their perspective. And uh, people who recognize each other as being of this stage will try to find each other and interact because they find they have much more in common, for instance. So that's a fourth definition of metamodernism, a psychological stage of development and a fairly fair one, uh, rare one, as I said, uh, so um, likely under a percent of the population if you're a little more stringent in the, in the definitions. No, it's a certain paradigm with its own philosophy. Well, so this is important that a lot of people, when they say metamodern, actually mean the philosophical engine that seems to be connected to this meta-meme, to, uh, uh, to this cultural shift, and so on. And there are interesting uh, shifts that have happened in philosophy lately. Uh, I tried to grab six of them here and highlight them, but they're by no means the, the only possible uh, compilation. But there is something like a profound shift of worldview uh, uh, which afflicts certain people and then they uh, uh, they change their view of life, reality and themselves and ethics and society in, um, in an abstract but profound way. Well, basically, your philosophy of life shifts, and uh, your your basic philosophical prop, uh, prepositions shift. So that's a fifth one. So w what are these? Well, what are these elements? Uh, as I said, six suggestions here, and they should be viewed as interconnected. So the first is complexity. A lot of uh, metamodern perspectives come clo uh, live close to complexity science, um, to uh, studies of uh, octopoiesis, of uh, um, uh, self-organization in nature, of um, um, the interaction of uh, many, many loose agents who together create patterns which are unlikely 
to emerge in other contexts. Um, and there is a view that um, unlike uh, more postmodern philosophy, you don't view the world necessarily in terms of structures and power structures so much. Rather, you tend to view them as um, different complex interactions which have, um, which have um, often unexpected consequences and uh, both desirable and undesirable. So it's also, it also points towards a less black and white kind of, kind of uh, view of the world, uh, which also makes it more difficult from this philosophical perspective to take a very strong position on the classical political scale, etc. Going on from there, we have a second element, perspectivalism or perspectivism, um, which basically says that, well, whoever has the most perspectives when they die wins that um, in metamodern philosophy and the metamodern par paradigm uh, always tries to climb out of whatever perspectives I happen to have at the moment and view the world with other perspectives, the perspectives of people with other paradigms and other worldviews, the people of the, the perspectives of uh, other ethnicities, other social groups, other sciences, other disciplines. And these together uh, create um, these together create um, a rich plethora of perspectives, which are nevertheless not arbitrarily ordered, because you have a perspective of the perspectives. So you see them more as emergent properties in interaction with each other. And the the issue with this kind of philosophy often becomes to focus on the emergence, where we get to the third one, the emergence and processes that lead up to these perspectives. And no perspective is entirely wrong. There's always a reason that somebody thinks something, even uh, like uh, even a schizophrenic nightmare or a, or a conspiracy theory or anything else, there's always something to understand, always a partial truth. Um, and uh, well, you get to a deeper truth then by comparing as many perspectives as possible and getting the best possible meta theory or meta perspective but through which we can compare them. We, we're always building this medic perspective. A third one, uh, no, the third one was emergence and processes. So uh, it, this, of course, builds us, uh, behooves us to always want to focus on the best possible processes for truth seeking, for sense making, and so on. So you can recognize metamodern philosophy in this that uh, it will look for not necessarily a stable truth. It views the world as full of flows and always, always events, always occurrences, uh, always uh, in flux. And for this reason, uh, it, it tries to understand and see how these processes and flows can be reorganized and, and resonate better together in, in a greater wholeness, so, so to speak. Developmental stages then. Yes, um, I mean, uh, some, some people would, uh, would argue against me here that this one has to be part of metamodern philosophy. And I guess it's true of all of them that uh, among metamodern thinkers or people who are part of this paradigm in one way or another, um, 
that uh, you'll find maybe 70% uh, like them and 30% don't for often for very good reasons. So the, the reasons not to like ideas about developmental stages is of course they can lead to judgmental stuff uh, that you uh, think of yourself as of higher stage than others. Um, it, they can lead to uh, uh, closing down on truly taking uh, multiple perspectives and they can you can also uh, misalign this uh, or, or misconstrue the stages and that can lead to catastrophe for instance if you believe that capitalist society inevitably collapses into a socialist one through a revolution you've made a false uh, stage theory and um, and if you act according to that stage theory uh, then uh, bad consequences will come out so you also raise the stakes a lot when you try to uh, to implement developmental perspectives. But the counter argument to that uh, is that, um, well, if we do accept postmodern multiperspectivalism uh, and a critique of any uh, one great truth out there, then we have already introduced a kind of stage theory. We're already saying that the postmodern uh, critique stems from modernity and modernism, and that in a, in a sense that it is a higher stage. So it is actually less arrogant to argue that there are several stages and that there were several stages before modernity and that there will be later stages which will shred whatever philosophy is being born at this in this uh, day and age to, to bits. Uh, and that a lot of people won't be able to pick up on that um, and that there will be uh, clashes of different paradigms and philosophies uh, again. Transpersonal perspective is very important. Um, so if we do view the world as full of complexity, many perspectives, um, uh, in emergence and always in processes, uh, climbing different developmental stages, depending on how you define them. Um, it also, there's not that much left of, um, of the self. So when we look inwards with this kind of philosophy, we see there's no, nobody home. There's no self left. And um, because, hey, here I am in complex co-emergence with the rest of you. And so there's no clear boundary between you and me. We still have to set up such boundaries for, uh, for, for the sake of social um, functionality and cohesion. And of course, I still have my body and you have yours. Uh, but in terms of ideas and interactions and actions and agency and life courses, we develop together. And we are multi, um, we are multi, layered each of us so you can it can affect me by means of i don't know a smart uh, attention grabbing mechanism on uh, on my iphone or whatever and get me to do something i'm not aware of why i'm doing um, so my agency can come from you and at the same time i can find another way to manipulate you or we can we can uh, bust each other's shadows or we can uh, bring each other into uh, into uh, higher spiritual states and whatnot. Uh, the point is, 
uh, we've dissolved the I, we're individuals uh, and we uh, evolve together. And this brings us actually um, to the last of these uh, philosophical prepositions, um, fractality. That metamodern philosophy um, or the metamodern paradigm, this meaning of the term, uh, it closely relates to fractals in many ways because um, when you zoom in on anything, you tend to not find an essence. You zoom in on the left and the right, for instance, um, in, in politics, well, there's going to be left and the right within the left and the right. And if you examine these uh, parts closely, you're going to notice that the left within the right often has a lot more in common with the left with the, with the left of the left than with the right of the right and so on. There are going to be so many connections that you can't place on a simple scale uh, like the, uh, like the two-dimensional scale of, um, of uh, uh, Galtan, for instance, uh, th those little maps of ideological positioning. Rather, there, it's full of loopholes it's, uh, it's full of, uh, the, the world doesn't consist of flat planes. It consists of donuts. You zoom in on one thing and you notice that, aha, what's really going on is that there is some underlying pattern, for instance, a metameme, and you zoom in on it, new self-similar things emerge, but they emerge uh, in new ways. And this goes throughout all of the things we've uh, talked about. So uh, fractality applies to complexity, uh, to perspective, to perspectivism, certainly you find perspectives within perspectives and they resemble each other and so on. So we are opening up this large fractal space where we're not taking a certain position within the fractal, we're learning to, to traverse the fractal of, under of our understanding of the world together. Anyway, that's in a nutshell metamodern philosophy, and that's of the fifth, um, the fifth way people use this term, which shouldn't be confused with the developmental stage, for instance. So, how are we doing on time? Moment. Uh, yes, uh, I, I think I can go for a moment more. Um, so um, here we go uh, from the current slide. The sixth meaning, then. it's a movement. So metamodernism is also something happening out there in the world. And this is also what people mean when they say the term metamodernism. And there, there's a connecting thread throughout all of these different movements, reconstruction follows deconstruction. So if postmodernists post critiqued the world, critiqued the modern world, that is, critiqued its injustices, critiqued its, um, critiqued its uh, inconsistencies, its loopholes, its cracks in the wall, and uh, its exceptions, and so on. It, it, it always ends on a question mark. It always asks further questions. This was also what was deliberately said by, by um, um, 
what, what was uh, literally said by, by Foucault, who once he had been critiquing everything, and uh, once he was asked, as the great postmodern philosopher he was, uh, well, you're just against everything. Uh, what do you want? And he said, you know what? There are so many engineers and economists in the world who are busy trying to organize the world. I just want to pick it apart. And that kind of encapsulates the, the core essence. No, we're, we don't believe in essences after postmoderns, but, but a core principle of, uh, of the postmodern endeavor and also of the postmodern sentiment. Now, we've already said, seen in the uh, first of these definitions in the face that we're reintroducing magical realism, informativity, um, uh, a, a kind of, uh, a kind of um, sincere irony, uh, a new hope in a way. And uh, all the while knowing that we, uh, after all, are probably mistaken, and yet we have to try because, hey, we're here to play. And there's this playful element. So um, I'm going to list a few different things uh, which I feel are connected through this uh, common thread and uh, things that are postmodern in a sense then. Well, one thing is, of course, uh, the, the book The Listening Society by Hansi Freinacht, um, which tries to reconstruct the, the welfare state and say, hey, we can construct a new layer of, uh, of politics, uh, a new form of politics, which would look at other and deeper issues of what it means to grow as a human being, for instance, through the stages of growth. Um, maybe emphasizing things like uh, psychological well-being, existential health, um, the quality of relationships, and making these uh, top political concerns. In many ways, post-capitalism um, falls under this, uh, or, or uh, yeah, is under this umbrella as well, because what many meta-modern, I mean, movements will, uh, and, and settings and groups will try to do is not just be against capitalism. They won't necessarily try to uh, view it as something dark or sinister or like a grim power structure. Um, they will try to create alternatives to it through commenting, uh, through uh, redefining how uh, companies are organized, through pro policy proposals, uh, through new business models, um, through um, studying the dynamics of internet economy and seeing how, uh, how uh, cultural capital and informational capital takes a greater and greater role. There are also aesthetic expressions. We mentioned that also in the first one and talked about the arts. Um, but you have many, many different aesthetic expressions in Burning Man culture and solar punk, etc., which try to, to reconstruct a utopian image of the future, which is nevertheless playful and ironically held, which is at the crossroads of fact and fiction, another, another meta-modern slogan co-development. So you have all of these groups gathering um, around Europe and the US and many other places, I uh, suppose, 
uh, who, who experiment with new ways of meeting up and um, seeing what emerges in the room uh, to uh, put ego uh, issues and preconceptions to the side and try to create the best possible processes for something interesting to emerge in the interaction itself. Uh, so that the interaction also becomes transformational for the person who participates. So this is a very important theme, I suppose, in all of these movements, co-development. Co You'll find it in the artistic expressions, in the post-capitalist um, and commoning um, projects, in the listening society, of course, and it's kind of politics. And you also have different forms of um, secularized, secularized religion and democratized religion and spirituality. So religion and spirituality, uh, which um, kind of were thrown out with the baby, uh, as a baby with the bathwater under modernity and never truly fully reconquered under a postmodern critique thereof, even though we have plenty of postmodern Buddhists and so on. Um, there, there is an attempt to um, there is an attempt to re um, to recreate these things, create new rituals, new co-created rituals to uh, um, to create an embodied sense of what metamodernism means, in, not necessarily with that uh, with using that term, but this is an important element as well, and uh, and it, yeah. Um, there are many examples, for instance, uh, syntheism as a movement, creating God under in, in the Internet age is a, is a book that, that works in this direction. Well, you have also, of course, um, movements to transform organizations and governance. Uh, the Governance of Organizations, a very popular book, um, Reinventing Organizations, talks about teal organizations. Teal is then a color code for a developmental stage of organizations, which would correspond to metamodern. Um, so you have all of those things going on. That's also kind of reconstruction, follows deconstruction. We have criticized the modern society. Now we're going to reconstruct uh, the, the organizations within which we live our work lives. Oftentimes it's a marriage then of the personal, the political, and the professional. And these are reintegrated in new ways. They were differentiated under modernity and now they are reintegrated. It's often a risky business. And then I should mention that these movements tend to stem from the triple H populations. Hipsters, hackers, and hippies. So hipsters are rich on cultural capital, um, they're really the embodiment of the creative class um, and they are also rich on understanding, well, maybe, maybe a lot of book learning and so on and uh, find ways of using these things transformationally in, in the world. But they hook up increasingly with hackers. I, I'm no exception there. I'm a hipster, I guess you could say, in this denomination and I work with uh, a community in Silicon Valley at something called the One Project, uh, who are experts at building software. And I worked formerly also at a 
and a Nike company as in-house philosopher. And then you have the hippies, of course, people who are good at meditation, uh, all the somatic therapies, and so on. And uh, this shows up a lot, also psychedelic practices, of course. This shows up a lot in, um, in uh, Burning Man culture, which is also naturally connected to the arts, hipster, and, uh, and Silicon Valley culture, hackers. So these are important. When you put these three together, you kind of have the nexus of where all of these all of these movement things are bubbling up and, and, and occurring and emerging. And where, for instance, the metamodern philosophy is, uh, or uh, different forms of metamodern philosophy are more likely to take hold. Um, and you might add a fourth, uh, fourth age. Uh, so you expand it to from triple age to quadruple age population, the hermetics. So the hermetics are people who are very interested in symbols and the occult and in games often and in rituals and are, they're good at inventing these. Uh, and they provide a kind of uh, temple building, which is uh, instrumental actually in many ways for, for the others to gather and, uh, and work together. Uh, not least if uh, we are to create new religion and spirituality. So that kind of encapsulates where we're at as a metamodernist movement. And on the surface, it doesn't look like a movement because it's so, it's so widespread. It just points in all directions. But on the other hand, if you look at it more closely, you see Yes, reconstruction follows deconstruction. These people tend to like each other. They tend to understand each other. They tend to be connected in some way, network-wise, not least. So yes, it is a movement, just doesn't look like movements usually have done historically. It's a more complex movement, but the metamodernism is also a movement. And that's another distinction that should be made and not be confused with metamodernism as philosophy, as a developmental stage, and so on. Conclusion. So it is what Sean, Sean S. Bjorn Hargens in 2010, writing about climate change at that point, has termed multiple ontological object. Metamodernism is a multiple ontological object, meaning that you imagine a bunch of circles, uh, a very weird Venn diagram, Venn diagram, and not all of these are going to intersect. We should view it as the sum of all of those circles. That's metamodernism, and that's the most useful way to use the term. Then we can nimbly go back and forth between these six meanings and perhaps others that can come up that are meaningful. Nevertheless, we should integrate these meanings and we should uh, work across them and back and forth and let them uh, cross-pollinate and so on. But we shouldn't be stuck in one meaning and we shouldn't fight the other meanings. That's, uh, I guess, my main argument. And most of all, we shouldn't confuse these meanings with one another, then we're wasting our own time and the time of one another. Mm. I could end there. I'll say two more, a few more words. Combining now these six, these six meanings, uh, phase, uh, societal stage, um, psychological stage, uh, meta-meme, philosophy, and movement, 
it's easy to see that sometimes something is metamodern in one or two of these, uh, in the sense of one or two, but not all of them. So for instance, you can have a person who subscribes to metamodern philosophy, but isn't at a metamodern stage of personal development. You can have a political leader like Donald Trump who partakes in some of the metamodern cultural dynamics that are playing out in society, but isn't of course by themselves as a person metamodern at all, or would rather be an antithesis of it. Um, uh, or um, you can have a metamodern expression within the arts and the popular culture, uh, which isn't nominally metamodern and doesn't call itself metamodern, is completely uh, not tied to the metamodern movement, uh, or on it goes. You can have a metamodern person, a person of metamodern stage of development, which nevertheless uh, doesn't have anything to do with the rest of these things. And uh, that also brings more texture to the picture, and I hope more clarity. That'll be all for the, for this. I'll stop the share so we can have a conversation. Perfect. Daniel, thank you a lot for your talk. That was fantastic. Um, it was very dense and I um, will soon open up the panel for all these uh, participants. While I'm doing this, so um, let me just ask, are, are there, bluntly, are there something like metamodern morals? I, I wouldn't necessarily say metamodern morals. So the, the value means that, or, or actually, oh yeah, that, that's a distinction we could have named. The value means vis-a-vis -vis the, the, the... I want one thing. I'm sorry to interrupt you. Could you make me the host again? So I can... Oh, yes, of course. Um, how do I do that? You go on, on, on participants and there you can, you can uh, see me. Participants. Move over my name and, and you make make host yes perfect so again metamodern morals mm -hmm. yes uh, metamodern uh, morality or morals uh, so for, first of all depending of course on which of these uh, meanings we look at uh, the answers are going to be different uh, if you look at um, if you look at something like the um, uh, phase just metamodernism as phase, cultural phase the answer would likely be no actually not necessarily, uh, but uh, if we look at metamodern uh, metamodernism as philosophy or as um, as a cultural uh, stage of development or a societal stage of development or a meta meme, it's possible to say yes. We should mention though that morality tends to develop particularly in the soft, the space of the soft uh, meta memes. Um, so, um, modernity largely inherited the post-Faustian morality. You should be against slavery, you shouldn't kill people, uh, the, the, the person who governs should do so for good reason, um, and uh, many other things. But the, the point is that we're all equal in the eyes of God, of course, uh, but the point is that modernity didn't invent a whole new morality, it just made real the morality that had just been in the clouds, as it were, or a beacon on the hill under post-Faustianism. Uh, so in traditional societies, uh, everyone, uh, 
religions would be against war, uh, or at least against uh, unnecessary killing and so on. Uh, but it wasn't until modernity showed up that you actually got liberal democracies who, don't, who actually don't go to war with each other uh, and uh, who actually ban slavery and so on. Uh, the same kind of goes for metamodernism. Uh, it builds on the postmodern ethics, which says stuff like, hey, we should turn around the alienation felt in, uh, in modern society. We should, um, uh, we should make society sustainable ecologically. We should care about other species than human beings. Uh, we should um, uh, be, um, uh, well, we, we should uh, be critical of the inequalities or excessive inequalities of our society. Um, and, uh, and of course, uh, on the far end of, of postmodernism, you also have an inclusion of animal rights. You should be including animals in your, in your uh, ethical concerns. Uh, so all of these are inherited right into metamodernism. Um, and they, um, um, the, the issue rather is that metamodernism is likely to make these things more real. They're not just going to be minority voices or critiques, they're going to actually saturate society. So the metamodern promise in terms of uh, morality is to uh, substantiate the promises made of the postmodern critique. All of those things that were uh, formerly um, situated in, I guess you could say, in an ivory tower of critique uh, and, and always kind of a guilty conscience, like the, the, the intellectuals, the postmodern intellectuals would be kind of like the priesthood of modernity, just like the priesthood of post-Faustianism was the um, priesthood of agricultural societies, uh, always giving us guilty conscience and stuff. Uh, that's kind of what the critique, particularly on the left, has been. Now we're going to make it more than a critique, we're going to make it real. So that's, uh, that's an important aspect. Uh, if we do go take the philosophy seriously enough, though, and we follow through with the metamodern philosophy to its end point, we do end up with a fractal ethics. And the fractal ethics uh, um, coordinates uh, the four different um, the four different key components of metaethics that are taught in uh, in philosophy classes. So that would be the social contract, virtue ethics, utilitarianism, and deontology or or uh, ethics uh, by principle. So right now these are competing, but if you apply the fractal philosophy and you make a fractal ethics, you can actually get a code that will help you improve. Um, your, your ethical engine, as it were, and the ethical engine of society. So that's a promise of metamodernism, hopefully going to, going to be a future Hansi book. That would be the, sixth, the fifth book in the Hansi series, if all right. goes well. Right. So I, 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 um, does anybody else want to participate or does have a question? Now is the chance to do so. Um, do you hear me and can you talk? Perfect. Okay. So, so you mentioned deontology, like by by principle. So, how, how about uh, teleology? Is, isn't there a mixture always? 
um, and uh, try to find an equilibrium between those two uh, principles mm -hmm. of ethics. Um, well, so yeah, that, that brings up a, a, a quite dense discussion and w one which um, um, I don't have um, clearly in my mind because it leads to a, a fairly advanced Sudoku where you have to put these four, um, um, these four forms of ethics uh, on Wilbur's four quadrants and then you have to zoom in on each of them and then you have to see how each of them contain all of the others. Um, but uh, just saying a few basics, um, deontology uh, and, um, and uh, utilitarianism have to coexist for the simple reason that the utilitarian, once you have established the principle, uh, greatest possible benefit and the least possible suffering for the greatest possible number, is still a deontologist. He or she has to just affirm that, uh, that ethical claim religiously. So all rationality and all calculation follows from that first principle. And that first principle is not in itself utilitarian. That first principle is a deontological principle. So, so that's just one way of showing their interconnectedness. Right. Yeah, questions, welcome. Yeah, uh, it's more of a comment, uh, and I, well, you can say what you think about it. Uh, so I've heard the claim that all ethics evolved towards rule utilitarianism, and it seems true to me, but I haven't studied ethics enough, uh, because if you start out being utilitarian, you soon realize that like evaluating every situation isn't practical. So in practice, you have to like come up with okay, what are the rules I'm going to follow uh, in, in each kind of situation? And also if you start out as the ontologist, it's like, okay, but how do you pick your rules? Maybe the rules that they, leads to, to maximum good. Um, does it seem right to you? Uh, I, I suppose. Um, so, uh, so let's see. Um, um, if we, uh, um, if, if, well, yeah, we, we can go on a little bit uh, on, on this uh, topic. So, so let's, let's uh, say utilitarianism, for instance, um, um, it's already within this philosophical literature, which I'm frankly not super acquainted with, but it's already within so, uh, the literature that you can have secondary uh, arguments for utilitarianism, meaning that uh, so uh, a good heuristic would be uh, it, it, you will have greater utilitarian uh, effects if not everybody walks around and uh, and uh, tries to uh, uh, tries to uh, maximize uh, uh, pleasure and uh, and minimize pain all the time because then that takes a lot of calculation and in the end they will make a lot of mistakes and then you'll end up with a less utilitarian result. And uh, that leads us uh, to the connection between utilitarianism and, um, and um, virtue ethics. And virtue ethics just says, well, this is an honest person. This is a humble person. Uh, this is a generous person, for instance. 
And um, most of the time, it'll make much more sense on an individual level to just try to be honest, generous, and, hum and humble than to, con than to uh, and to hone those as qualities which can be embodied and felt rather than walk around like a computer the rest of your life and try to calculate your way through every situation you, you encounter. Um, so yes, there does appear to be a secondary argument there, but on a more fractal level, we zoom out and we view these different uh, forms of, these different forms of ethics. Um, we can see that utilitarianism seems to make sense whenever we've already set the social contract and the social contract is already in place. Uh, we, um, are, uh, we already have set uh, uh, deontological principles, which we can agree upon. And uh, we already agree upon which virtues we want to foster in ourselves and one another. And then, we use our collective intelligence on a uh, aggregate level to calculate what is good and bad. And that's where utilitarianism comes in, right? I have a bit of a second uh, question, if that's okay. Um, uh, so I know that, you know a lot of summaries of metamodernism coming from other other thinkers emphasize oscillation, and you touched on that a bit. Um, how, how do you see your you know your set of of definitions sitting with this idea of like oscillation as this primary thing? Go forth and oscillate. And I particularly bring it up because I had encountered metamodernism previously, and this oscillation thing. I was like, okay, well, that's interesting, but I don't really feel a big grab on it and it wasn't until coming across oh this developmental approach so i was like oh okay there's something here so how do you see those views sitting yeah uh, so uh, so obviously there is a bit of a conflict uh, in because it's a contested term it's part part of uh, part of why well first of all hello uh, henry it's good, good, <laughs> Hi, good to meet you we haven't had the pleasure <laughs> indeed uh, we, we've interacted quite a lot before uh, so um so um uh, I mean, well, basically with you there, that uh, to me, I, I don't really skip a lot of heartbeats over just, just the principle of oscillation. And if I hadn't known about integral theory and that kind of, um, uh, that kind of take on what comes after postmodernism, I probably wouldn't have been super interested in, um, in uh, metamodernism as such. I just, I would have, you know, tucked it away as one more interesting idea, right? Uh, the, the point is that I felt, felt that if you enrich that oscillation uh, and that uh, metamodernism as cultural phase with these other meanings, with an underlying deeper engine of a new philosophy that is emerging across the board with a view of developmental stages, and yes, there is indeed a metamodern and developmental stage and so on, it, it appears to fit reasonably well uh, in that it, it, it jives with this principle of both and thinking. And I thought, I, you know, in Wilbur you have this both and thinking and, uh, and that's also what I inherited. Uh, now what I found with the 
with uh, the metamodernists who had written about this term earlier and from simply the perspective of, of uh, a cultural phase, the arts and so on, uh, they had a richer language for it, which better caught the vibe, so to speak. Um, they came up with magical realism, with oscillation, with mm -hmm. form naivety, with sincere irony. Uh, and there was a lot to play with there. And what I felt it was very integral. No, it was very metamodern. <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, so I felt, you know, uh, they were culturally much more on the beat with something yeah. that, you know, I felt would be salient and um, sustainable, culturally sustainable in our day and age. So, so I felt if you take that metamodernism stuff and you put it in integralism and, and vice versa, uh, you can get the best of both worlds, particularly you get a kind of design intervention in, in, uh, metamo in, in integralism, uh, which uh, had many weaknesses, but one of them was aesthetic, you know, that mm -hmm. metamodernism had all these corny, um, well, well, you know, these very new agey images, uh, and, and it just doesn't speak to most, most people, it particularly just speaks to the people who um, who can relate to those spiritual experiences that are being uh, uh, portrayed. And, uh, and by the way, it also has a difficulty living up to it because it's not ironic enough in its presentation of itself, um, which also makes it prone to all of these uh, cases of hysteria uh, where, where people uh, overinvest in, in, well, gurus and so on. And, and cast postmodernism green is the central adversary. Yeah, um, yes. is, is, I think, yeah, Integral has its own aesthetic and, and I agree that metamodernism and um, mm -hmm. particularly, particularly sincere irony, I think is one of the, mm -hmm. one of the things that grabs me a lot. Okay, that, that, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, uh, so. Yeah, how you how you how you got to that particular <laughs> synthesis. And, and, yeah. and thanks, Henry. It's, it's just, uh, sometimes I like superposition better. So, but at the same time, I feel ashamed using it because I don't know so much about quantum theory. <laughs> but, <laughs> I know what you mean. <laughs> but, but, um, but superposition, um, uh, two things are entangled, they're interconnected, it's in two places, there's uh, a non-locality, you, uh, uh, you can manipulate one thing and the other thing um, changes. So it's in two places at the same time. And we, we need to be like, oscillation sounds like you have to hurry back and forth. I like superposition better because it's more static. That you can be deep in the irony and the deeper you go in the irony, the more sincere you can get. So you can write an outrageous book where you're super out, where, where you're super, um, you know, rude and, and, uh, and uh, shocking and everything. And because you do that, you open up the space for being very, very, very sincere. This is what I really want. This is what I really feel. These are my real hopes. These are my real concerns. And if I just put those out there, it just joins a million other voices. Um, it doesn't uh, stand out aesthetically. It, and most of all, it doesn't appear, well, this, and this goes back to postmodernism, really. Postmodernists will always um, uh, distrust, or at least the the dark pomos, not, not the light mm -hmm. pomos, like the Marxist types more or, or academic types more, they will distrust 
any true believer, right? right. So you have to be, and, and what I kind of found, uh, and not just myself, other people too, was that when, you know, when you're really deep in the irony, you can become the true believer, just comes in through the back door. Uh, and uh, without being tunnel vision, because you're in a tunnel, but it's a fractal tunnel, and it opens you up, <laughs> and it's closing you down. Um, so, so that's uh, actually, yeah, superposition is better. Um, but I realize I'm probably making a fool out of myself uh, before. Uh, I, I'm not qualified to say. So, yeah, I like I like superposition. I also like uh, I also like um, productive tension. I think yeah. is the way that. I think about it like you do have both of them at the same time and there's an interplay but yeah I, I don't like this <laughs> going back and forth all the time. Yeah. But, thank you and they even actually write this uh i think from Merlin and their and van der Acker, they really write about different islands which you literally hurry back and forth between um and and it sounds like uh, hard work mm -hmm. yeah. yeah yeah i also agree that like the the framing of, of the listening society sets you up so that by the time you get to the vulnerability of the state and depth chapters, I, in particular, I found that that was like, okay, now we're ready to do a, do a dive in there and you're, you're, you're primed to accept the, the vulnerability and sincerity because you, you know that, you know that, the, 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 that Hansi is in on the joke too, on the, yeah. the ironic joke of the world. So, yeah. I also want to point you, uh, Henry, to Brent Cooper has written uh, a comment oh. here. Thanks, Brent. Thank you, Dan. Can I ask a question? Hello, Tim. Please go ahead, yes. Hi, yeah, I've, uh, th this is my second outing this week online. So, uh, you know, I'm, I've been a bit of a hermit the last few years, but it's a pleasure to meet you face to face online. And um, I, 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 I I have to admit, I was uh, at least one notch behind you on the hierarchy of subjective well-being this evening, and you've got me up at least a notch up to your level. So thank you for that, Daniel. Um, my my question was, well, I really wanted to you to elaborate on on something in particular because most of those six forms of metamodernism and metamodernity that you were outlining were to do with answering the question, what's next. But Hansi picks up on another Greek word, the, the to do with the metaxi, uh, metaxis, and in other words, what's in between, the kind of concept of in-betweenness. So I was hoping you might just be able to elaborate on the importance of uh, the metaxic as well as meta in terms of going beyond and saying what's next. Um, uh, well, uh, great pleasure to meet you also, Tim, another person I have uh, interacted with uh, a lot and never had the pleasure to meet. Uh, so, um, uh, yes, first of all, uh, a taxi and so on is uh, a stronger theme in the, in the cultural uh, theorist metamodernists, um, so a taxi metanoia, and Brent Cooper has done actually more work in He'd like perhaps like to say a few words about it as well. I notice he's here, um, but um, it, just my own two cents. Um, they they uh, look at metamodernism more in this term, like essence and that in betweenness, a transition, and so on. And it's in betweenness is a very important 
part of any relational philosophy, which we could have also put up there with a, with a, uh, um, with metamodern philosophy uh, term. Um, and um, I, I feel that it also makes sense to talk about what the next stage that we want to construct looks like. That being said, we are in, in between us right now, like we've never been before. We're in 10 different time, types of between in between us at once. Uh, so it is important. And just to say something about the, the particular historical moment, um, all of this relates to different theories of change, of course. Uh, the, the, the most prominent one uh, is, um, well, perhaps the, the Burkana Institute theory of, of change, um, which, uh, which uh, says that uh, one paradigm, one big uh, system uh, matures and then become, you, you see many little, uh, inventions of alternatives showing up, and as the other one starts to crash to, under its own weight, then it becomes more uh, prescient. It becomes more pressing uh, for for these new agents to uh, to take uh, more and more responsibility, connect with each other, uh, and all of their work uh, begins to congeal, and they learn from best experiences and so on. One thing goes down, the other thing goes up, right? And, and we're at the uh, we're in the steep fall of, uh, of modernity, and then we're in the rise of something new, I would call it metamodernity. And postmodernism then is not in itself a stable phase, it's a critique of modernity. Um, and, uh, it does, and it showed up under modernity's, let's say, technological regime, whereas metamodernism is particularly an internet phenomenon and particularly linked to that social logic, which is probably the social logic of the future. So that's one way of seeing it. Another way, which I uh, in many ways prefer, is that history evolves in um, uh, movement and institution. And so it goes back to um, uh, sociologist Alberoni, uh, Alberto Alberoni or something. And he, uh, he says, well, that, uh, institutions eventually crumble and then there's this moment of uh, just rejoicement and joy where everything is up in the air and it's like falling in love everything becomes liquid for a while before it congeals again um but there is also a sociological theory called revolution and counter-revolution uh, by Seymour Lipset and uh, the counter-revolution is uh, the reaction to the revolution, because the revolution, uh, given that it doesn't build on established structures, it contradicts a lot of the social orders, and it doesn't build on a lot of experience. Uh, so it's prone to failure and overreaction and, uh, and all of other, well, just mistakes, just a lot of mistakes. Uh, so when the revolution does go wrong, which it inevitably does, and which is kind of what has happened with our postmodern critique of society, um, th there is a counter reaction, just like after the French Revolution, like in the early days of the French Revolution, people were walking around naked down, uh, downtown, literally, and having sex with whoever, and uh, like things were crazy, and after a while, uh, heads start rolling and wars uh, erupt and then boom, the old order reestablishes itself 
reacts very strongly, is strongly reactionary. Um, it throws out all of that new garbage, whatever that was, and tries to continue where things were. But they've also picked up a bit of the social dynamics of the new world. Uh, so eventually, though, it is when the counter-reaction or when the counter-revolution is defeated on its own terms because it never has, it doesn't look towards a new equilibrium state. It doesn't look towards the future attractors. Uh, so inevitably, it's doomed, um, but it's going to win first um, to, to the excesses of the revolution. And right now we're in that counter revolution, which is what we're seeing across Europe, um, in, uh, in the United States, in, in world politics at large, um, and also in the cultural dynamics of our day and age. Uh, so, and it's often during the counter revolution that most, that the worst atrocities uh, are committed, unfortunately. Uh, so we're looking probably towards a fairly grim time, which makes our, seeding forms that we um, come up with now and try out now, all the more important for, for the time when they have matured and the counter-revolution has run out of fuel and shown that it doesn't actually produce a much better society. Um, and uh, yeah, that's kind of the, the in-betweenness, historically speaking, that I feel we're in right now. So we're in fairly dark times. Hopefully that brings everybody down a notch again, subjective state. I've gone up to 13. <laughs> Rent, do you want to say something on metaxi and metamodernism and, and stuff? You've written a lot more about it than I have. Sure, thanks. Um, I like your presentation. Uh, you should you should include me in there <laughs> somewhere. Um, but um, no, one thing I like to, um, you know, kind of introduce kind of an injunction, right, is like these missed sources that I dug up like Borgman and um, <clears throat> Oh, God, I forget their names. <laughs> Um, there's there's several though the three or four from the 90s particular and a couple from the 2000s that just aren't touched on and then you know my recent article on hypermodernism right I pivot that way because it's this parallel discourse and um, let's say Vermeulen and Vandenacker are, are aware were aware and they just chose not to pursue any of that right I think that's I think that's a mistake there's a lot of interesting stuff there so it begs the question of today, how, how we all came to this topic, right? And, and discuss it without this prior context. And, and it's not a bad thing. It actually, it actually expands, becomes more fractal because, <clears throat> because we get this new research and it dovetails with the idea of uh, historicity, which is in, in both metamodernism and hypermodernism. So we get to examine the past 30 years as a period, right? Post-Cold post -cold War is when both of these phases really began. And then of course, it's more crystallized after 2000 with the internet and 9-11. So I think, I think these have been missing pieces of the puzzle, but of course, like 
Daniel's framing is very comprehensive, uh, excellent kind of six-dimensional meta theory. Pretty hard to to undermine that. It's very robust, but I but I try to I try to historicize it right and also problematize the way people come to metamodernism and misunderstand it, as you touched on, right. And so so there's different um, you know people with different ideologies that they're still. Try, you know, they're trying to level up and trying to get away from these past ideologies or political alliances, but they're still trapped by it. Um, um, so, yeah, I, I guess that, that's all I wanted to kind of un, unpack. But if anyone has any questions on that, I can go deeper. Yeah, thanks, friend. Well, well, I had a thought coming up uh, while um, in your lecture um, when you mentioned autopoiesis, right, as one mm -hmm. of those engines. Um, so, so could you elaborate a little bit on that, of uh, the relationship between metamodernism and autopoiesis, if there's any? How, how does it play out? Because that's a fairly interesting concept in general. And, you know, you, you get my question. Yeah, so, so uh, first of all, uh, I'd like to uh, make a caveat that I'm not, uh, uh, I'm not necessarily a uh, um, um, a huge subscriber to autopoiesis as as it's often used, uh, namely as self-organization, uh, to be contrasted with uh, then uh, then uh, um, engineering and control, because I think that might be a bit of a false dichotomy. Uh, if you zoom out, uh, we're never quite out of self-organization. Of course, you have agents in the world, they try to control themselves and their environment, uh, that's engineering, but if you uh, crisscross all of those different uh, perspectives and uh, all those different agencies, you do have a self-organization. Uh, the point is that the self-organization can, can then land on stable equilibria like, uh, like a functional ecosystem or it can have some agents taking too much control and uh, not having feedback processes which regulate them back into uh, what is good for the wholeness. Uh, so for instance, human beings get uh, super much control after we uh, develop all these technologies and organize ourselves into modern states. And then we make, um, uh, well, huge irrigation projects and whatnot, uh, which then disconnect from the self-organization that exists in local communities and also uh, uh, might fail to uh, integrate the systems of nature. And so they are huge failures sometimes and uh, cause uh, incredible damage. So, so that's, I mean, that kind of takes the both and there that yes, there is a critique against against uh, uh, engineering, social engineering included. Uh, but at the same time, we can never fully disentangle the two concepts of 
agency and planned uh, engineering, uh, which just means manipulating one's environment and oneself and, uh, and self-organization. There's not like this pure innocent autopoiesis and this uh, evil uh, control freak of, of an engineer, on the other hand. Uh, what, what does exist are the feedback loops, which are too slow um, or too disconnected so that things fall out of autopoiesis uh, in terms of a certain uh, unit of analysis, for instance, an, an ecosystem. So right now, uh, humanity has, uh, is, is, is a species on Earth, among many others, uh, and we have self-organized in societies but the feedback processes from, uh, from nature are too slow. So we don't regulate back when we harm nature because it harms us back too slowly and too regularly for us to re naturally regulate back. And then we have to make forecasts about the environment and start talking about it, but our whole institutions and so on and habits and uh, way of life are entirely disconnected from that uh, feedback process. Um, so that being said, yes, metamodernism uh, as a sentiment and also as a philosophy, looking at complex uh, systems and self-organization, uh, looking at uh, multiple perspectives, looking at emergencies and processes or, or having those as, uh, as its DNA, as it were, um, it, it lines up with autopoetic theories such as, hmm, we should identify with a deeper uh, perspective, uh, with a wider perspective or a range of wider perspectives so that we include animal rights and uh, the ecos and the biosphere so that we can become a constructive part of Gaia's expression rather than a cancer uh, on, on uh, Lovelock's Gaia system, for instance. Um, and uh, also in terms of organization, then we will try to maximize the autonomy of, uh, and the sovereignty of each uh, individual and then each enclave, enclave and then each uh, part of the organization. And you'll try to link them to as many other relevant stakeholders as possible so that it doesn't get uh, trampled by the hierarchy of the organization, um, and which is an autopoetic sentiment or principle. Uh, but to get to autopoiesis, you have to be fairly engineering. Uh, you have to take up, a, uh, you have to be playful, you have to make suggestions. And th this is a difference then between a postmodern sentiment, uh, which could still be aligned with autopoiesis as a kind of, as a as view, as kind of we're so impurity principle versus uh, we're always part of the autopoiesis and our engineering attempts, including social engineering attempts, uh, become um, naive, inform naivety and become uh, proto-synthesis. Like, uh, like we know that these suggestions might not work, but we have to try them because we have to develop together, right? Right. Um, Yes, yes. I'm, I mean this, and and of course, I was thinking uh, 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 about autopoiesis as an intrin intrinsically connected part to psychology and uh, uh, autopoiesis of consciousness and developmental stages. You know, because you can't really think 
developmental stages up to a point without thinking about autopoiesis and how the um, how the how the consciousness works and and the psychology and so like even in simple models like Keegan and, and, and self-authorship and, and self-transformation, so there's like this element of autopoiesis come into play and how we use our consciousness, you know, and it's like, it's very, very similar to metamodern, metamodern, metamodernism as a, as a psychological stage, isn't it? Yes, I, I do believe it is. And actually, in when we look at uh, the, the different meta-memes as, uh, when, when we look at metamodernism as a meta-meme, it's a certain cultural um, generator function. So uh, it generates um, culture of a certain kind, uh, or, or just actually the same is true of postmodernism. So for instance, look at the painting over there, it's not impressive. I made it a bunch of years ago. Nevertheless, you can look at it and see that is this painting from the 1700s? And you can just answer no. And it doesn't have anything to do with my developmental stage as an artist. It's just the fact that I live in a postmodern world. So uh, flattening things up and, uh, and uh, making a dreamy symbolical landscape which is maybe a sea maybe not maybe a moon maybe a, uh, maybe a sun who knows uh, and there's a lot of expressed emotion in it even though uh, it's not very well expressed the, the, that very thing couldn't couldn't be conceived if you're not in the postmodern generator function um, and, and this is so so they they are kind of autopoetic systems in and of the moment in, in and of themselves as as generated function and the same goes i believe but i can't prove it uh, for how our uh, for how our mind works uh, meaning that uh, well so let's say somebody has a thousand different propositions that they believe in which link up together and they all um uh, they all support one another, at least partly, uh, and they uh, uh, together they make up a postmodern worldview. Along comes comes your metamodern friend and says a metamodern proposition, and it contradicts a thousand presuppositions that you already have. Uh, so your gravity just pulls it down and falsifies it. It's just like there's no way this one can be true because then all of this, these 1,000 different things that I, uh, that I already believe uh, would not be true, rather than uh, for, for the self-organizational system of the mind to shift, you have to shift um, 500 or more of those little, little nodes or stars on your sky uh, into new constellations, and then they link up, and then they start because the mind is always a process, always doing things, and then they, they start doing things in new patterns, and that's a self-organization. Um, these, uh, and interestingly then, I don't know if others have noticed this, but when I talk to you guys, for instance, and a, and a select crowd like this one, the words just kind of flow, you know, I, I just, you just, 
ask me all sorts of difficult questions. I come up with some kind of answer and, uh, and I kind of feel supported by like just the vibe I'm in by the presuppositions of the crowd. Well, then I go down to, I don't know, my old uh, colleagues at the university or my family. And I try to explain just something I view differently and I just can't find the words, right? Because, well, transpersonal perspective, right? But that, like, I don't have the, the other points to link to. I, I can, you know, I can, uh, to, I can tinker a little bit with one or two points and say, wouldn't it be interesting if, or blah, blah, blah. But, uh, but by and large, uh, I'll find I have a whole, like, other part of me, which just doesn't, there's a barrier I can't breach and I can't go past it and I just can't speak. And even if we go deep into discussions, I, I can't come up with anything to say. And that would be metamodern. So then I'll stay within a postmodern or modern uh, mindset. And I'll also not be able to think the thoughts while I'm going there uh, a little bit, but the, the thoughts will be farther away from me. So they're also transpersonal. They're also in, in the field, so to speak, right? Which again, I mean, uh, speaks um, a lot to this thing about viewing metamodernism as a movement, that as a movement on a deep level, even though we're not calling it metamodernism necessarily, and there are all of these interconnected dots that don't seem to have much in common, nevertheless, um, uh, you can enter into these different fields and, and kind of interact a lot along this self-organizational logic that you that you experience. And also the embodiment becomes different. Um, you also, you just become a different person, like, you, like your metamodern self or whatever, which is also a big part of why I had to isolate myself uh, writing the books, by the way, um, just to get away from all the gravity that where I couldn't access that stuff, right? Whereas your neurology goes into a, a bit of a stress response if you're surrounded by this different perspective. You know that it's, things aren't going to land the right way. Yeah, I guess that could be a big part of it. Uh, I, I mean, hey, I wish I was a bigger person than that and could live up to, well, that's just more perspectives and, uh, <laughs> and yeah. let's play with it. But, uh, but oftentimes I do uh, feel a bit of distance and uh, well, as you age, of course, you, uh, you learn to live with it and then you accept that for what it is. And then you find, well, there are many ways to relate to other people. And once you've kind of had your fill with metamodern code and culture and so on, uh, then it becomes more okay that people are just different and we have different settings to be in right yeah i'm i'm also thinking a bit in the in the cultural somatics frame of kind of what kind of attachment is there between the the emerging metamodern culture and the postmodern or modern cultures and it's not a secure relationship at this point right there's a there's not enough of an established base particularly if you're outside of your supportive context to really have that kind of secure attachment neurological relationship with a different cultural context around you right now. And, and that's, I don't know, I've, as you know, I'm very fascinated by this cultural somatics uh, frame and like what kind mm -hmm. of kind of cultural interactions can be modeled that way.
Yes, uh, I I agree, uh, and I think um, I think um, that uh, this was something I was talking to uh, Jim Rutt with on his podcast. Uh, that and and this is connects back to this fourth age, the the Hermetics, right? Mm -hmm. um, that there is a particular role for this category within. Uh, uh, within uh, the metamodernists, and uh, they're a little less outward bound. Uh, so hipsters engage with all kinds of stuff around them, as do, of course, hackers and hippies as well. Um, whereas introvert types are often a little bit more um, the, the, the hermetics, and um, and they have a particular role to play when it comes to creating, well, metamodern temples where we can charge our batteries, as it were, culturally and, and uh, embody stuff better and, uh, yeah. and just kind of feel supported by a, by a community and culture, uh, which feels a little bit esoteric, but just a little bit, just ironically esoteric, right? <laughs> uh, you shouldn't actually have anything to hide, right? But, but sometimes it helps to have a, have a space. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and and some yeah. some interesting rituals, and those these can be reinvented uh, like continually. But we need to probably as a movement become better at that. And I, um, I'm optimistic that I see more and more of this tendency. At the same time, of course, is a fairly dangerous path to walk because hey, then you get into all the stuff like. Uh, well, esoteric stuff, basically, and uh, stuff that's difficult to explain to other people, uh, uh, psychedelic practices, uh, not least, and uh, and this um, um, this creates um, th this can also create a chasm, or, and actually also slides into things that uh, that are connected to esotericism and occultism. Uh, for instance, far-right thinking, where you feel like, whoa, I felt the strong energy, so let's make this strong energy take over society. Not, not a good idea. Yeah, um, yeah. yeah I, I, find, I find some hopeful things in the, uh, in the immersive theater uh, scene, the interactive theater uh, mm -hmm. festival practices that are, that are pretty mm -hmm. big here in, in San Francisco, or were when we could mm -hmm. run yeah. off and have big interactive groups of people running around in, in costumes and, and, and storylines. Uh, but that's, that's kind of a, uh, a, a supportive ritual that seems to, it brings in both the irony and the sincerity. Um, you know, it's people looking for authentic connection, but in the context of some sort of crazy plot line that we've all agreed is real for the weekend. Um, that's, that's the kind of place where I see some ritual possibilities emerging. This appears to be a recurring theme, actually. So, so that's interesting. Uh, I, I noticed you were waving, uh, Michael. Yeah, <clears throat> I was uh, more curious about you said, like when you show up in a setting like this, as you met a modern self and stuff I've been noticing, certainly now that we're doing in digital contest on a screen in Zoom here, but still you can summon your metamodern self when you are in the presence of faces you think are <laughs> metamodern. And what's going on there really? I've been noticing it all summer and fall when I'm in the circle Zoom calls. You, I just show up as a, uh, a, a more me. <laughs> mm. yeah. so, so I think Henry might have said part of it that, uh, that, well, if we feel that what we're going to say isn't going to be super well understood 
and maybe what we feel, also when we feel the kind of expression that we're making is going to be misunderstood and misrepresented, uh, then we get a little bit nervous. And nervous shuts down, shuts down complex processes, right? So that I'm on, on a very simple and visceral level, that could be it. Um, but, on, but the other part I really think is uh, like, well, we're social beings, we're interactive beings and interactive beings uh, so that like you say something, it prompts me to do something. Uh, so uh, like, uh, yeah, like a dance or whatever, right? So uh, you will throw me balls, which for me aren't curved balls. I can catch them, they make sense to me. Uh, I can feel I can play with it. We get in a more playful mood, and, and uh, uh, like th there are enough, uh, there are enough uh, presuppositions shared for for uh, like a breakdown of the conversation not to be imminent uh, every twenty seconds. Uh, so uh, this help we help each other to stretch our minds into more complex uh, modes of uh, thinking and being. And now, of course, um, the critique of, uh, against this is that when we stretch our minds into more into more complexity, we also disembody a little bit uh, because hey, then, then we're in our heads. And, and I have to say, uh, I'm, I'm not that scared of um, disembodiment for, uh, for a little while here and there, right? Uh, because, well, I mean, sure, if you get stuck in it uh, and uh, uh, you get less sensual or less sexual or less, uh, less uh, alive or something, then, then that's a problem, of course, uh, or you uh, forget to tune in your feelings and all of that. Uh, but for a while, it's okay to be in our heads and play with ideas. And then it's an inherent tension in metamodernism that because we're trying to go very, very uh, complex and we're trying to go, you know, spiritually deep and high, um, uh, we, and here actually the word oscillate, Henry, uh, might be better. <laughs> uh, we, we inherently have to be good at oscillating between these. And ideally we could get into quantum superposition, sorry, Linda. Uh, <laughs> uh, Linda wrote in the chat that uh, she will explain what it actually means at some point. Uh, but um, but I'm, I, ideally we could really uh, be in both and maybe in the future we as individuals and we together will be a, capable of that. Uh, integralism claimed to be that, um, but it, in many ways it's, it failed particularly on the complexity and the stringency side and, and uh, depth and uh, community and uh, communion would, would trump uh, stringent thought and, and clarity and complexity, right? Mm, so, so we have to be defenders of both of these sides, I guess. Um, and, and that's, I guess, that's a part of the tension that never leaves us, that uh, even when we are together, right? I think, uh, Daniel, if I could just come back on, back to my question on, um, on I forgot my, what my question was, the, the in-betweenness in relation Metaxi. to what you're, 
yeah, the metaxi in relation to what you're saying now, because I think behind my question, I've sort of got it into my head that somebody who's kind of metamodern is likely to have a greater facility for kind of operating at different levels, engaging with different codes, and even mediating between people who might come from, you know, different ends of the spectrum almost. And that can, in my personal experience, that can be quite a dangerous situation. I mean, not that I'm setting myself up as the next Messiah to be crucified, but, you know, if you're, if you're kind of playing, not, it's not a game, but play, playing, being in between for the sake of kind of sharing things that are going to be received by people, it can be quite dangerous. Uh, agreed, uh, but so are all other positions. Um, mm. So uh, what we argue in uh, in uh, Nordic ideology is that metamodernists are going to win in, in the long run, and the, they're the opposite of populists because populists um, and they go for low complexity and thus towards the lowest common denominator. So uh, a lot of people are bothered by the presence of a lot of new Arabs in Swedish society. So the populist party are going to say, well, how about not Arabs? Uh, and um, yeah, stuff like that, right? Uh, whereas metamodernists go in the opposite direction and say, hey, we're going to do so complex stuff um, and be so nuanced. We're going to bore you all to tears. Uh, you're we're not going to be uh, wanting to listen to us. Uh, so they'll always, they'll always only attract uh, in terms of uh, votes or popular support, a lower, uh, a lower, lower portion. Uh, but because uh, these processes that are created in metamodern circles and so on uh, manage greater complexity, they also manage to imbue uh, more perspectives and then they can uh, traverse what other view, others view as uh, flat um, uh, scales or one-dimensional scales or two-dimensional scales. And they can uh, well, walk, by, walk through the third dimension and pop out on different places. And as such, they can have uh, more uh, weak ties. And that, that's a powerful... Uh, uh, theory and in, uh, in, uh, network theory that weak ties uh, can uh, can help out a lot, uh, and in those weak ties they can always offer interesting counter perspectives. Uh, so a person on the right will get interesting uh, will get interesting tips on how to counter postmodern arguments, for instance. A person on the on the left will get interesting uh, uh, critiques into the psychology of the right, and so on. Um, and uh, as such, they can be a little bit friends with a lot of people, and as such, they can have bridging functions. Uh, and uh, they're going to then be viewed as, well, a bit too meek, a bit too uh, wobbly, a bit unprincipled. Uh, they're going to be uh, never be anyone's favorite, but they're likely to be the least hated alternative. So like left are gonna hate them a little bit less than they hate the libertarians. Libertarians can hate them a little bit less than they hate the left and so on. So you, you uh, and this is also a theory in uh, network science uh, of uh, the strength of non-negative ties. Um, and um, because you then build the, the greatest wealth of non-negative ties, 
uh, you uh, garner the, the, the most, the, the greatest concentration of perspective taking and the greatest capability of coordinating perspectives, um, then uh, it, uh, the chances are that fairly small groups can influence society a lot um, by means of having this unique position. Uh, and uh, what I would like to see happen in the world, what isn't happening yet is for the creative class or the quadruple H population to be, become more conscious of themselves as a class in society, which are uh, distinct from the interests of the middle class. Um, the middle class want more or less to keep the status quo. Uh, and so actually does the working class uh, in, in many ways. I mean, some redistributions, differences and so on, but. Um, but then the, the modern uh, quadruple H class have a distinct uh, class interest in a more deeply free society where you are liberated to uh, you, you know, go off and do your crazy uh, projects and experiments, uh, which are highly likely to fail, but uh, in, in accumulation can and will save the world, right? Um, and um, but the middle class won't have it. They don't want to pay for that with their tax money in terms of UBI and so on. And then there is a, a alliance then between uh, meta modernists and the creative class, but also the precariat, the people who don't fit in in the categories of uh, worker, uh, entrepreneur, and and so on. Uh, so there's, of course, a revolving door. If you take, live a risky life with a creative class, you can land a precarity. This happened to a lot of us. Um, and, um, and then uh, what both of these groups need is a more listening society, which empowers sovereignty and doesn't let you spend your uh, unemployed days, uh, uh, you know, making all of those applications, uh, and, uh, you know, Jumping in so many hoops from the from the authorities and and um, and the companies, um, so so uh, I, I do see a, a separate class interest there, uh, uh, which is orthogonal to to the to the classical scale, and I think that uh, before it has, you know gotten its support structures, it feels a lot more dangerous, but actually it's one of the less dangerous positions in society because uh, when push comes to shove and things, uh, uh, there is a lot of turmoil, uh, we'll have uh, allies and friends and perspectives a bit more all over the place, um, which uh, I mean, the, the chameleon is, is often safe and the, 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 the octopus is often safe. Yeah, can I just ask you a bit more about the precariat that you, that you mentioned there? Because, I mean, if you, if you follow um, Guy, Guy Standing's analysis, he's talking about the development of a kind of class consciousness there, mm. but, but three very disparate groups in society, in Western society, that are actually tend to be antagonistic towards each other. So you've got the descendants of the traditional working class, you've got ethnic minority immigrants and you've also got kind of highly educated younger people who don't find any employment commensurate with their kind of you know their levels of complexity so so what you're saying there about a kind of quadruple 
H class consciousness developing. I'm just interested to know how that would help what Guy Standing's talking about in terms of engaging with the precariat. So, so I realize we're on time, so I'll have to uh, respond uh, very quickly. Uh, but I'm not a super fan of uh, of uh, Guy Standing's precariat uh, theory because I don't view it as realistic to view the, the, the fundamental um, uh, alliance as realistic. Um, and and in, in fact, since he published the book, you haven't seen these, uh, this new dangerous class emerging really. Um, uh, what, what you see on the, uh, in the COP, uh, uh, like what, what my sociologist colleagues have studied in, in um, um, their protest studies and uh, demonstration studies, they see that uh, young people show up at these uh, protests and, uh, and demonstrate, but uh, what we would call POMOs, the, the postmodern population. Um, and um, I, I think it's a bit of a left-wing wet fantasy that um, the, the working class uh, would align with all of these new immigrants who are competing for the same jobs uh, and at the same time their national identity being perhaps their primary source of pride that they still have if they're um, less privileged in society. Um, and I also have uh, difficulty seeing these very disparate groups that are the, uh, the, the immigrants uh, organizing as such. Um, on the, um, they tend to organize according to the lines of ethnic uh, uh, ethnicities. And so so um, what I mean rather is um, that, okay, a lot of us work outside of the uh, of the norms and uh, habits and functions of the, of the the modern labor market, and as such, we have a shared interest with uh, unemployed people and, and people who don't quite fit in. And uh, these this group in itself cannot organize itself for logical reasons because. Um, uh, everybody wants to stop being unemployed and uh, uh, skip uh, out of out of that uh, out of that uh, hole, right? So um, uh, rather, uh, it's that if uh, metamodernists uh, and the quadruple H population build a more listening society with basic uh, support structures for everyone, not necessarily a UBI, but other forms that. Uh, don't have you jumping through all the modern hoops, then there's likely to be a quiet support from somewhere, from, well, from the precariat, from the people who, uh, uh, who would like to be supported in living lives that don't quite fit in into the modern framework. And more and more people are uh, falling into that category uh, due to the pressures of globalization. And, uh, and of course, digitization. Right. Thank you, Daniel. I think we did two hours now, and I think that's the perfect point to close this lecture for today. Thank you all for participating and to um, be here and partake on this discussion. Thank you, Daniel, for taking the time. Thank you. Um, yeah, I hope uh, you will all tune in next time. Uh, our next lectures uh, will be Raoul Eshelman, the 
uh, creator of the aforementioned performative uh, performatism. He will come um, on this pro program uh, Thursday. You can see that uh, on, on the Parallax website. And so we have a nice uh, lineup coming up. Again, thank you all for participating. I wish you all a very great evening and see you soon. Bye.